0: So Polly, today, yes. on Totally Preventable, we're having Dan Fitzgerald as our guest. Love Dan. Dan is a is a good guy. I've only met him once, but I've seen and I've seen his work and um, heard a lot about him. But he's he's got quite the resume.
1: He does he's been in prevention since he was a little
0: kid yeah yeah i've seen some of the pictures where they don't look very different from right now still smart. <laughs> just, <laughs> just an added facial hair you know that's about it yeah you know? but uh yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited he's he's um i don't want to say most known for but what i'm most known from as the lung association american lung association and the cherojo youth task force but you. I believe he, you told me he's involved with truth
1: he is. as well. He is, yeah. Um, but I know him most from the Cherokee Youth Task Force. Mm-hmm. He's had some great initiatives there. Um, he can really get his youth engaged. He's mm-hmm. got a, a huge group of um, well-spoken, well-educated, uh, motivated, excited to be part of change in their community group of young people. Amazing. That is
0: that is great yeah that is great i, I want to get his take on why he might feel that youth are key mm-hmm. you know um, with everyone just just trying to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks you know it's it's important i you know to to know why youth add to to the possible solutions of a lot of the things that we're dealing with in prevention Absolutely. so it's gonna be great i think to to hear Yep. pick his brain see what he's willing to uh release as his key his
1: he's always willing to answer questions and you share know. yep and that's good if i reach out to him and he doesn't know he'll connect me to someone who does he's he's a, a great um a, a great support system he's mm. a, a great person to know in the business and um, he knows a lot of people and is very helpful
0: so that's awesome yeah so, you ready for this one?
1: I, I am very ready.
0: All right. So, All right. without further ado, let's bring it back. Without further ado, totally preventable with Dan Fitzgerald.
1: We're here today with Dan Fitzgerald. Dan is the National Senior Manager of Advocacy in the American, at the American Lung Association. This is a mouthful. And so. now, um, the Executive Director at the Cheroho Youth Task Force, and a trainer and mentor of activism at Truth. Whoa. So welcome, Dan.
2: Quite the resume there, Dan. Well, thank you for having me. Exciting to uh, join you today.
1: It's nice to see Mm -hmm. you. So um, you do a whole lot of things, Um, (laughs) even more than that's on this list. As as I'm thinking now, there's other things that I'd love to talk about as well. But um, could you tell us more about your job with the American Lung Association?
2: Sure, yeah, so I have actually worked at the American Lung Association for about five and a half years now. Um, And my role has changed a lot in that time. I actually first started um, directing Tobacco for Rhode Island which is a network-based organization. As you know, we work with um, all of our prevention coalitions throughout our state and other organizations all working to reduce the impact that tobacco has here. Um, in the small but mighty state of Rhode Island. Um, From there, I have done a lot of our advocacy and public policy work um, here in Rhode Island and do some other, um, I have a portfolio of other national um, advocacy work that I do. Um, And a lot of that work ultimately um, is related to a big portion of that is tobacco control and prevention. Some of that is around access to quality, affordable health care. And I do some other um, interesting things around um, kind of air quality and lung health and, and things like that.
0: Wow! Now, when talking to youth about lung health, how do how do you go about that? Like, how do you bring bring that conversation to to capture their their curiosity?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question, Greg, because. For me, I actually started getting interested in this work when I was really, really young. So I joined my local prevention coalition. Um, my mom and I went there, I think I was like 10 you know, probably nine or 10 years old when we went, attended our first coalition meeting down in the Southern part of the state where I live. Um, grew up in, in Richmond and, uh, and spent most of my life in Hopkinton. And um, that was where I started seeing how substances impacted not only my family, which what brought us there, um, but also my whole community. And some of the first work I started doing um, was seeing that you know you could smoke at the, the ball field where you know me and my siblings, my cousins, and and friends from school where we were playing t ball. Um, so one of the first things that was really exciting for me. Um, was working with my coalition, and it wasn't called Tobacco for Rhode Island then, but <laughs> the Lung Association and our T- what's now TFRI, they came down and supported me, um, and you know my peers in making what's now been for about 15 years now a smoke-free environment, which is really cool. So it was one of those things that it's not the sexiest, coolest topic, right? Often right. the work that we do isn't the number one front of mind issue for our communities, so was about, um, figuring out and what I kind of fell in love with was figuring out what is it that's going to make people interested and come to the table and talk about it and making it really human, um, for something that, and with your question around lung health, um, especially when it comes to anything related to tobacco, there's a lot of stigma. And one of the things that in all of my work, um, I always try to kick it off. Anytime I'm giving a presentation about tobacco or e-cigarettes, I start off with something that sounds counterproductive, but I promise it's not. And I always start off by saying smokers are not bad people. Right? If you are anything like me, you have wonderful, beautiful folks in your life who have uh, been you know, dependent or, or addicted to, to nicotine, it's something really hard to quit. So if we add shame and stigma onto it, it makes it even harder. So I find the biggest thing that, that I really enjoy, but can be a real challenge working in the lung health space and in the prevention space, um, is about kind of breaking down those barriers, that stigma, so that you can really talk about the root cause because um, I do think the things we care about are a lot more similar than they are different.
1: And when I think of the lung association, I think of conventional cigarettes, but you mentioned e-cigarettes e- and we're hearing a lot about vaping. Um, it's um, increased immensely with kids and there's been a new ruling um, around Juul. Um, I've got to say, I know Juul really push their product on kids or it appeared that way. Um, but there are other vaping companies that are equally to blame. What do you think about this?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting because when it comes to commercial tobacco products, the ones that we've been talking about forever, things like smokeless tobacco products and, and cigarettes, um, we have decades and decades and decades of not just the data about what it looks like in our community and usage, but also because of the Master Settlement Agreement in the late '90s, we literally have their their playbooks, right? They had to hand those over in those lawsuits. Um, and if you've never been to uh, the Tobacco Library, where all those are housed over in California, if you're a tobacco nerd like me, I definitely recommend it a trip over there. But uh, it wasn't very busy for some reason. But you know, we we know, right? What what they were doing, so we weren't learning it right as young people were experiencing it. So kind of fast forward while there is a lot of things that we can draw simulation um, similarities, especially since um, a lot of these e-cig companies and products are being pushed and funded by the same people that we've been up against for, for decades now, but really kind of here we are now, even, you know, I'm only 27 years old, e-cigarettes were not a big part of my high school career you know, I remember maybe at the very tail end of it, because I was a part of and running some prevention work, I, I was hearing about it, but it was not an issue I had to face. Fast forward, you know, months, not even years. Um, and that is a huge part of the culture of what it means to be a young person. And they were experiencing that at the same time that prevention specialists were trying to learn about it, prevent it, and make sure that everything we're doing is rooted in fact. So there's a lot of nuance there that made that especially challenging. The piece where I think that policy and practice and prevention all come together um, is where there has been some really great opportunity that I think was really um, not used in the best way where this could have been totally preventable, right? We have um, all of this knowledge like we were just talking about knowing what works, what didn't work and what we're up against. And now fast forward with e cigarettes, we know know, the FDA got the authority to start working on these products years ago. So none of them are necessarily regulated in the sense that we would think about regulation, but they have the authority to actually start checking and seeing if things should be um, for sale. Um, And there's a lot more nuance. We could spend hours talking just about that piece, Um, but they delayed that by years. Um, so the Lung Association of um, some of our other public health partners actually sued the FDA and we won that lawsuit back in 2019, um, and it basically found that the if the FDA acted when they have the authority to do so, Um, that the e-cigarette epidemic, as we know it now, could have been totally preventable. And that's really, really, really frustrating as prevention folks, as parents, as young people, as educators, to think about that. So now a lot of that, and of course COVID delayed some of it, but now some of that pre-market review process is coming to an end. You know, so the big piece now is I think FDA needs to be able to operate at the full extent of their authority. Um, and I think the the American people or our government needs to hold these companies accountable. Um, I had the really cool opportunity. I was in DC and was able to sit in the room as the, um, you know, seven of the biggest e-cigarette um, CEOs were sitting there testifying before Congress, very similar to maybe a photo we've seen from the late 90s. Mm. Um, I mean, in some of the, and you know, really paraphrasing here, but the vibe of the room was, we're not marketing to kids. Um, didn't know these were, you know, we've never pretended they're going to help people quit, barely knew they were, they were addictive. And I mean, it is. I, you know, my, in the TRI office at, at the Lung Association, we have a big six foot photo of, um, you know, the tobacco industry lying to the American people back mm-hmm. in the NSA. And it's like the same photo, maybe a little bit more modern <laughs> of clues. You know, yeah, a little more color yeah. uh, right next to it. And it, it's, it's that flashback, but yeah.
0: Wow. Now we have the tendency, I mean, especially in prevention, we, we like to celebrate, every victory and you know when we heard the ruling uh, about the the e-cigarettes and the jewel we we are excited but then we have to quickly think about the the alternative now there are a bunch of youth who are very reliant on this addicted and do you know of any active cessation programs for youth
2: in the area Yeah, so there, that's a great question, because as you all know, I feel like it can very easily we get into what I call public health whack-a-mole, it's this product here, you know, or sometimes it's even different substances. um, And while we should be able to celebrate and, and, you know, see these wins in prevention, what about the folks who are stuck there in the middle whether we're talking about an age of sale law whether we're talking about point of sale or whether we're talking about actual products being for sale or not so um i do think we have the responsibility as the you know public health field to talk about those things in the same breath uh love this comma and you know need to do this so there are some really great um things going on so now the Rhode Island Department of Health is putting a big investment into a new addition to their quit lines. As we know, there's a tobacco um, helpline that they do staff and people can get free nicotine replacement therapy as a part of that. Um, So that's really wonderful. They also now are um, doing a big investment in a team-based program, um, and that's called My Life, My Quit. So it's staffed through National Jewish Health. It's the same folks who are running our quit line here in Rhode Island, and that's a really great, free program, and it's also available um, by text. Other organizations, one of those first text programs was actually run by Truth Initiative and the Truth Campaign um, that was called This Is Quitting. Wasn't as much cessation, but it was very much about the support for a young person going through that. So both of those are really great programs. And I do know, um, you know, there's a lot more that still needs to be done around, you know, better understanding the evidence of effectiveness for traditional, you know, cessation products like nicotine replacement therapy for young folks. Because now, even just looking at the things we know that work, and even knowing they work, sometimes takes seven, nine, 12 times for Mm -hmm. adults to use those products successfully and, and have a sustained quit attempt. But now looking to sometimes with certain levels of of e-cigarettes, we're talking about an even higher um, level of dependence on on nicotine. So the whole idea of that, those products, is to make sure that folks aren't um, having such intense withdrawal so that they can be more successful and have longer um, or potentially permanent quit results. So if you are a young person, even if you are eligible and using those products, sometimes you may be experiencing that traumatic withdrawal And, you know, now that's even if you are able to, you know, utilize one of those products, um, it can make that process a really challenging one. So um, a lot of great stuff out there that is that we didn't even quite have just a few years ago, but certainly more to come. Mm -hmm.
1: Good. That's good to know, because I hear a lot of people just say, just quit. These kids need to just throw those vapes away they need to just quit think of that. yeah whatever yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe just because they're kids they can do that but i mean i know a lot of adults that are still smoking mm. and can't and wish they weren't mm. so i don't know why they think that will just relate for kids to just quit but um so i'm going to go from a transition from kids to other kids <laughs> um, <laughs> and where i first met you and um where I really love your work is at the Cherokee Youth Task Force, um, which I struggle with because all our our Rhode Island task forces have really changed their name to coalitions. So um, you're going old school.
2: Yeah. So uh, again, our name and logo was uh, made by some middle schoolers a decade and a half ago. So <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that is one of the the pieces I I find myself really really lucky to um, be a part of some really exciting work and, um, you know, there's no shortage of great things going on in, in our state here, um, but yeah, I feel really lucky to be a part of, of the work down in Cherahoe, so for those, uh, I find even sometimes folks here in Rhode Island don't quite know what Cherahoe is, it's not technically a place, our old superintendent used to say, it's a it's not a place on a map, it's a state of mind, um, <laughs> but Cherahoe is a, basically an acronym, it stands for Charlestown, Richmond, and Hopkinton, so we're a tri-town school district, three separate town governments, um, the one federally recognized sovereign nation. The Narragansett tribe is also, um, you know, butts that area. And um, yeah, really three very different towns um, who, you know, as we all, you know, face with can sometimes be a challenge to come Um, bring all together. But what I fell in love with, as I was mentioning earlier, I joined our local coalition who had been working for about 30 years, similar to a lot of the other great coalitions in our state. Um, And I was one of the only young people at that table. And I fell in love with a coalition model where, you know, people who all thought differently came from different walks of life, were able to come together um, and use their lived experience to move forward the work we are doing. So I wanted to, you know, work on creating that where the loudest voices of the young person. So that's where, you know, that's what started the Cherokee Youth Task Force. Um, several of those young people, you know, who were, you know, our kind of founding members, um, some are on, on payroll and doing some great stuff with us now or, or supporters out in the community. Some have kids who are now, you know, part of some of that work. And it's been a really, really exciting Um, time. So just a few years ago, we, you know, formalized our 501c3 status. We also merged forces with with the the task force that was prior um, working in that community. So we are now the the organization who is, um, you know, running substance use prevention, mental health promotion. We also have a community health worker and some youth organizers as a part of our team now. So we're really looking at Um, broader health promotion um, and, you know, working on on using, you know, some of our, you know, 15 years of lessons learned and and working in some other communities in in Washington County as well. We have some work going on in North Kingstown and in Westerly as well, which is exciting.
0: So being so involved in the coalition at such a a young age and with all the prevention work that you're doing now, can you
2: tell us a few uh, programs that you've initiated? Yeah, I think, you know, one of my favorite parts of coalition work is when you do it really well, it's uh I always say that it should be difficult to say one person who who did it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things are a super collaborative effort. But um one of the things some of the things that I'm you know most uh proud about or most excited about, one of which um I truly had no involvement in the the idea. It was more so the success piece for me was our goal was always to, as I said, you know, create a table where the loudest voice was a young person. But to do that, we also needed to make a table where people felt safe, seen, and valued. And that to me was our biggest success when we were able to, even though the reason why I was, you know, trying to build that table was pretty clear at the time was substance use prevention. Um, And we've grown in a lot of ways, um, not because of Really, any other reason besides the passion and lived experience of young people who are coming to our table. And now, you know, we have coalition members of of all ages who are helping impacting that work. But one of the things that came out of that um, is a campaign that that we call Everybody is Beautiful. And that campaign came from a young person at our table saying, you know, this, this is great, you know, the work that we're doing. um, but an eating disorder has impacted my life for the last 10 years. And it impacts my life every single day, all day long. Um, And that student shared about, you know, some of that seed was planted through books they had to to read in school. Um, And I remember the quote that always sticks with me was they said that I was taught from a very young age that I would be, that I had more worth if there was less of me. And that was one thing that just crushed me. I had to learn a lot. I knew nothing about that space, but all I knew was we promised a safe space where you could be seen and heard. And we, you know, what our mission was really to give a platform for the voices of young people in our community. And, you know, so all we did at the, the start, because we didn't know what to do with that, is we created a poster board that said, Everybody is beautiful. And we stood behind it. Um, we didn't know what was going to come from there. Um, we now, Rebecca and our team is, Um, was really one of the first the real passion behind that. Um, She has since illustrated a children's book that uh, as of last week is available on Amazon uh, worldwide, which is really exciting. So we have a uh, published children's book that talks about in a very age-appropriate way um, what is body positivity. We have hosted community gatherings um, in our school district. We have a little clear sticker that says everybody's beautiful and a link to resources on every mirror and every um, throughout the middle school and high school and in staff bathrooms, um, and it's been a really incredible learning experience. One that we've found uh, means something different for our, you know, BIPOC students. It meant something different for students that were differently abled. Um, had this campaign meant something different for them? For our LGBTQ plus students. That campaign meant something different for them, and and so that's something that um, I have a lot of, of real excitement about um, taking a model of amplifying voices and using it in a way that I, if it was just me saying this is what we're doing, we would have never went there. It was never you know something on in the back of my mind, in, until it was elevated to that. Um, but yeah,
0: I I think. Oh, sorry to cut you off.
2: I want
1: to uh, know the name of the book.
2: Before okay. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> it's called "Everybody Is Beautiful." Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll send you the link. But we're yeah, we're really excited. We did a we worked with our local Rotary Club and and did a um, hand drawn version that we printed locally and um, and now it's been uh, republished and as a in a digital art format that's um, has some activities and we have a little curricula that goes with it and and it's been a really exciting uh, kind of living, breathing campaign for us.
0: I. I just wanted to give the kudos. I, I just caught something, a, a little gem, as you were describing. Everybody is beautiful, and you were, I mean, it was a youth that came, and you you had this safe space for youth. But the one thing that stuck out to me amongst you know your your description was how you put those clear stickers even in the staff bathrooms. So it's, it just resonated like this. This can happen to anyone. Yeah. You know, And, and that, it, that, that was real powerful to me that I, great job. I think that was a, a really good move.
1: And maybe also remind adults not to put any worth on a student about exactly how they may appear
0: to. Right? Yeah. I think most people probably would have just kept the focus on, on just the youth and, and, and forget about, you know, there, there could be an adult going through this same exact issue. So sure. a big kudos for that. That was great.
1: Thank you. So um, I know that we usually focus on substance abuse and prevention and, um, but what I do love about the Chero youth task force is that um, you really encompass a lot of things that I don't even know if. I can think of any kind of substance misuse program that you've had, um, <laughs> but I, I think I remember a, um, a mental health one, a mental health initiative, um, mm-hmm. maybe around stress and reducing stress and keeping your mental health. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure yeah so we launched this was probably about eight years ago, but we we launched it and it's now turned into we still. uh, do a lot of work with it It was called stand up to stigma let's talk about mental health and and it really started again from that youth experience of saying we we want to get our our Community talking about mental illness but they're not even ready or at the point of, you know, having the capacity to understand that we all have mental health. So that was a really big piece there. And we um, we have some really incredible resources. We worked with a drama therapist to kind of build out a presentation that we actually toured around the country and around our state, which is really exciting. Um, and it was really around educating folks around. So we had common knowledge about mental health and mental illness, and then moving that forward to say, this is how, you know, stress impacts daily life. This is how stress impacts um, substance use. This is how stress impacts other physical health. And, and it's been a really interesting piece in the pandemic. Um, you know, one of our first ways that we really had to pivot was we were the, as a lot of our coalitions are the epitome of like, you have a space for a table, like I already have it in my car will be there, you know, and when there was no there, then it was out, how do we continue to reach people, especially in this moment of our history where they probably need it more than ever. So we created a QR code sign initiative. Um, so we assembled on our website, um we have a mental health tab that's broken out into three main buttons. I need help now local resources and stress reduction which are more of the preventative resources. And each of those, it's been a living, you know, breathing process there, but we uh, laser engraved this QR code with a signage that says, you are not alone, you know, scan here for mental health resources. And we put those, um, we worked with our partners, to put them at hiking spots near bridges. We put them um, in gun shops and in barbershops. We put them at the very back of the field where you wouldn't think anybody was, but our partner said, I know I see people here in the evenings. Um, And we didn't know what was gonna come from it. Um, Our first full year of the program, um, we had over 15,000 unique scans. And when we, what we do in the backend, we're able to see what's the first action they take. So of course there's some folks who don't do anything. There's some folks who click, I need help now and we're completing a call from there. The majority of folks were clicking stress reduction, and that allowed us to really tailor our programming to say, "Wow, our community is actively, real time telling us where they need, you know, what kind of resources they need the most right now." Um, and, and again, you know, that came from you know the idea of a you know young people around our table who you know, we're like, well, let's just do it this way. And you know, I'm like, how are we going to get signs and how are we going to get them <laughs> people, you know? And um, I was sharing at a meeting yesterday. I remember one of our students said, well, that's like three things, assemble resources, print signs and get them out. We can do three things. It's like, you're right. Uh, that's, been uh, yes. that's been a really uh, exciting program. And and we actually use that mental health resource and, and presentation as a kind of anchor point of a lot of our other programming. We do um, an alternative to suspension program at our school district. So for any student who um, breaks the school substance use policy, now we work with them to revise the policy. This is three, uh, three school years ago, so they don't get suspended. They come to an educational retreat program that, um, that we put on each month. And as a part of that, whether they're there for a cannabis infraction, whether they're for alcohol or opioids or e-cigarettes, every single one of them goes through, we talk about healthy behavior change. We go through a full program on better understanding stress and how that's interconnected. And then of course, we talk about addiction dependence and tolerance. And then we go into each substance more specifically. Um, And of course, at the beginning of that, it's a, they think it's a punishment and there's, you know, we really work to break that down to then talk about like, this, all this is about is spending time, you know, getting new information, of course, but having a caring group of adults say, you know, you're redeemable, you, we believe in you, and uh, ask some questions. And, And it's been some really cool things that kind of we see that change from this is a punishment to this is an opportunity usually happen in that mental health and stress, where we're kind of taking the blame off and saying, let's look at, everything that we're dealing with and kind of validating that for the young person. So that's been a really cool, you know, living, breathing campaign turned curricula um, for our team, for sure. That is
0: awesome work. That is great. Now, judging, you know, looking at your website, you see great things like the zombie walk and um, the, the mocktail competition and fit in or um the fit in initiative, you, mm-hmm. you see it. And not only do you see that, but you see the joy in the face, except for in the zombie walk, there, there's, there's, <laughs> there's no happy in those races, but uh, you know, what is, what is the the key to, to youth engagement? I mean, I, when you look at just the zombie walk, it's a massive amount of, of youth engaged. Like what is your, what is your trick? What is your secret?
2: Yeah. I think, you know, the, the secret sauce is, collaboration. And I think it's around, um, you know, it was the, I don't know who says this quote, but the, if you want to, you know, go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's been always, whether, you know, it's my work at the Lung Association or TFRI or work that I've done with launching youth engagement with the Truth Initiative or, or down here in my community um, with, you know, with Cheroho, it's always been around, Get folks at a table, and even if you have a very clear vision of this is what I want to do, um, I think humble leadership is about you know being told you're wrong and being okay with that and celebrating that and and you know working to bring folks to to that point. Um, And then it's not just you saying, come on board, this is what I'm doing. It's them saying, this is what we're doing and this is what I need from you. Um, You know, and and that's been a really exciting piece even with the zombie walk, that was a great, you know I actually started helping out with that statewide piece um, as a young person. And then when I transitioned into professionally working at the lung association with TFRI, running that as an adult and and it's been a really cool process to see that. But I think, you know, it's very easy to, and uh, I'm a data nerd, so I love the, the data aspect, and I believe really heavily in evidence-based programming, but also making sure there's room for the, the feel-good things, but also the things that get people excited, because once you get there, then as an evaluator or as, you know, prevention specialist, it's our job to then figure out how do we you know, work on connecting the dots to all the other obligations that we have to funders or to our boards or to our communities as a whole um, in giving the platform to young people to say, this is what we need and then kind of go from there. So I think, yeah, it's just a big piece around, you know, collaboration has always been the, has been the key.
1: I got to take part in the zombie walk. Really? Yeah, yep. I think even, I think it might've been Dan that gave me some zombie i feel like i might
0: have yeah yeah Zom- zombie look, zombie look. <laughs> yes i got mistaken um
1: i often get re- mistaken as rebecca but even in makeup i got mistaken as rebecca at the
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you look like rebecca would look if she was a zombie okay <laughs> now we know <laughs> um
1: so we know why it's important to have youth's voice at the table but we often um m- have discussions with people that feel like they know better, they know better than youth. Um, Why is it important to have youth at the table and listen to them and value their opinion?
2: Just asking that question, you know, makes my day. I love that. And and I, (laughs) you know, so often we think, you know, that, you know, young people are the leaders of tomorrow. And as cheesy as it is, they're the leaders of right now. And I think there is no, if you're dismissing all young people or even just any young people because it's maybe challenging to get them in the room or like, woof, it's like hurting cats. You know, it is, you're missing a huge part of what it means to live in, in the communities that we're serving. And I think the, the important piece of engaged young people um, is around really the, setting the precedence that it is, they they're a major stakeholder in our communities. Um, and I think once we, I don't say ignore, cause I think it's important to validate all perspectives, but when we kind of um, remove the, this is the way we've always done it off the table, then a lot of really incredible things can happen. Um, and I also think it's important to, you know, be, okay with knowing that, you know, being humble enough and to to say, wow, I wouldn't have done it that way, or, you know, not sure if this is going to work. And, and, you know, young people are really resilient. And um, also, I think we don't always give them the credit of knowing that, well, they wouldn't understand that our money can only do this. There. are probably more in tune with that than many adults are because they're constantly being told, this is the way you have to live your life. You have to be here. You know, you don't have the autonomy over this and that. So bringing them into some of those big courageous conversations, um, you quickly realize a lot of them really know that. Um, The other piece that I love about, um, you know, when I was going through, you know, my, you know, really, Late middle school, early high school, into kind of college age in this space, I was going through with the mindset I want to be taken seriously. So I was emphasizing like young adult, I can't wait to be just the adult here. <laughs> and um, so I was often going through trainings and opportunities with the, uh, oh, geez, I should have known this where some of, you know, the the students that I I work with and, you know, Rebecca on our team was the one who maybe put it into words for me was, you know, why have I never been taught this, not the I should have known this, and it was a really interesting piece and, you know, she took, you know, things like the translator trans theoretical model of change. I remember I learned that a little bit during my prevention stuff. I, I learned that when I was doing my my MPH, um, but it was always the, okay, yep, I should have I should have known that, like, that makes sense. Um, and Per was like, this, the way this is presented doesn't make sense, but young people need to know this. So let's make it in a way that's accessible to community members and, and young people, regardless of their level of education. And just thinking about a problem that way, it's not just about, okay, y'all need to catch up. It's you need to make this accessible to me because that's not fair that just because I don't know these big words that I shouldn't know this information. And I think that framing is the way that we become better community organizers, that we better meet the needs of our communities. And I think who better to to help keep us accountable than the young people who are growing up in that community, you know? Absolutely.
0: You, you mentioned, you know, taking this is the way we've always done it off the table. I mean, I've sat at quite a bit of conference tables where (laughs) this is the way we always done it. That's a heavy piece of furniture to take off the table.
2: Yeah. Oftentimes (laughs) that's the table, the chairs, the floor, the ceiling. Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Meet in the field. Let's do this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, how do you, how do you guide youth away from their known toxic social norms? How do you, how do you do that?
2: Yeah. I think, you know, I had a, It was recently you know we've been working on some projects related to queer inclusive prevention and and more things tailored to the lgbtq plus community and um and you know i was asked i was on a panel and i was asked the question like what is you know queer inclusive prevention and and i i have kind of the same answer as you know what is prevention youth prevention and i think at its absolute simplest form everybody wants to feel safe, seen and valued. People want a place to belong. And I think for the young people who, whether you're in you know, parts of Terre Haute or down in Little Compton or in the middle of Providence, and if you feel like you are alone, whether you are or not, whether you're feeling those ways and, and feeling different, it's about finding a place that feels mutually beneficial, where you feel accepted and celebrated just as you are. And I think that is the biggest key piece, because I think a lot of really beautiful things can happen um, when you know that somebody who don't, who isn't just obligated to, that somebody actually believes in you. Um, And I think it, you know, it takes a lot of effort to be, you know, aspiring allies, to be comforting adults. Um, but I think that's really the power of it is, um, not just saying it out loud, although that helps, but truly putting it in action that, you know, I, we believe in you, um, and being, you know, able to follow through with that, I think is a really, really important part to, you know, not just going fast and, and you know, of course there's always the, you know, the, the not as fun things that we have to do. Um, but those things become a lot easier when folks know that they're at a space where, you know, just as they are, they're, they're accepted there, regardless of whatever, you know, they're bringing in the room with them.
1: Um, and I want to thank you for giving us permission to print all the terrific um, LGBTQ um information and pamphlets um they're actually like okay, excuse me greg for one minute <laughs> they're all right over here behind me <laughs> and they went with us to pride events and um it is so wonderful to see um young people being excited to see that we have material that includes them and parents and well yeah. and then i was going to say and it was yeah. nice to see some older people parents grandparents mm-hmm. be very interested in um Having some literature to read and help them out. So, thank you. And so, we still have questions, and I have a million questions in my head, but I want to be mindful of your time. I know that you have another um, appointment after this, but my big question you ready? How's Hank? What's Hank up to? How is <laughs> Hank?
2: <laughs> Our hamster Hank is wonderful. Hank. <laughs> Um, we recently just moved, and I don't think he knows we moved, but he's, um, <laughs> he's
1: still at the old place.
0: Yes,
2: he uh, he has a huge forty gallon tank. We he he lives well here. He's exactly. he's well loved, and uh, yes, he's he's doing I, great.
1: I love the picture of him pushing the little shopping cart. That's my favorite. <laughs> so
2: that, that was uh, yeah. We, we like to make sure that his environment is in, is enriching, so we try to change it up as often as possible. Nice. <laughs> Some days he's climbing. You know. <laughs> I think um, Hank
1: should have his own Instagram.
2: I'll bring it up. All right. All right.
1: <laughs> he could he could promote all the Cherhoe um. Yeah, yeah he could have a little uh everybody's beautiful t-shirt he could be reading.
2: Really- oh, yeah. yeah.
1: well thank you so much dan um really i have like a million more questions i want to ask you but i appreciate your time um we appreciate you um and everything that you do for all of our youth and um our state
0: now for any um parents or any organizations uh, that want to get in touch with you or want to hear more about these um, programs and initiatives, how do they do that? Where can they contact you?
2: Sure. Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for having me. Um, thank you for, for giving me a platform to talk about the things that, that bring me a lot of joy. And um, yeah, I would love for folks to reach out. So our website is charahoyouth.org. And my email is dan at terahoeyouth.org. So feel free to uh, reach out, learn more about what we're doing. Um, And yeah, always uh, look forward to connecting with folks who are doing some great stuff uh, throughout our state and beyond. And those
0: looking for lung association
2: information, lung association information. Yeah, if you're interested in some of the work that we're doing at the American Lung Association or Tobacco for Rhode Island, um, my email there is daniel.fitzgerald at lung.org and the Tobacco Free Rhode Island website is tobaccofree-ri.org. Thank you.
0: Good
1: thing Greg's here. I'm only interested in Hank. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Dan. It was great talking to you. Thank you for <laughs> having me. Bye bye.